Racism can be defined as intentional individual acts of prejudice and discrimination perpetuated by those in power. When those in power act collectively on their prejudice, they discriminate against those not in power by creating structural barriers which create disparities and inequalities amongst those not in power. As such, racism manifests itself in different ways, both politically and socially. For example, it can manifest itself in xenophobia, otherness, segregation, supremacism, apartheid, and even Holocaust. Sadly, racism is still prevalent in the United States. Ken Ham, director of Answers in Genesis, states, In the U.S. culture, we are racially programmed, particularly in regard to the skin color issue. Because of our culture's racist roots, because of the way the world thinks, because of the influence of Darwinian thinking, we have been programmed to look at the exterior rather than the interior of a person and to make broad judgments based on what we see. Now, before we get into the text of our scripture today, it is necessary to outline three biblical principles on the subject of prejudice and racism. Principle number one, God created one race, and that is the human race. Genesis 1, 26-27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Acts 17, 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Now, the words of Acts 17, 26 are part of Paul's sermon to the Greeks at Mars Hill. And in, that go- and in, in preaching the gospel, Paul called out the Grecians on the issue of racism. You see, the Greeks commonly referred to anyone who couldn't speak Greek as a barbarian. They looked down on these individuals. They suppressed these individuals. They oppressed these individuals. And Paul made it very clear in preaching that there is no nation, there is no ethnicity superior to another ethnicity because all humanity has descended from a common God-made ancestor. Now this is foundational, ladies and gentlemen. If you accept Darwinian evolution, if you reject the clear teaching of Scripture that God created one man and one woman and via that one man and one woman the entire human race has come forth, then you will have absolutely no problem embracing prejudice and racism against others. Now we share a common ancestor, that is Adam and Eve. And that means that all humanity shares a common blood bond. I don't care what a person looks like on the outside, on the inside, we share a common blood bond. Every individual is ultimately related to every other individual on planet Earth. All humanity, therefore, is equal because of our blood bond. And this refutes the idea that one group of people is inferior to another group of people. All people created equal. That's what our country was founded on. And yet, at the same time, all people were not created equal in their sight because they had no problem owning slaves. Slaves were looked upon as property. 
And then a few years later, they passed the three-fifth compromise to say, well, they're partially people. And you want to know where that comes from? That comes from Darwinian evolutionism. There is no such thing as a white race, a black race, or any other race other than the human race. All of these race labels are lies that have been perpetuated to create havoc and mass confusion. All humanity proceeds from a common ancestor, and that is Adam and Eve. No particular people group, no particular ethnicity can claim superiority over another people group or ethnicity. And science bears witness to the truth of Scripture. Biologists categorize humans as one biological race, Homo sapiens. And though various ethnicities exhibit different physical features, those differences have no biological significance. Geneticists have proven that there is only 0.2% difference between any two people in the world. Regardless of what genetic traits one people group may have when compared to another people group, those people groups are still part of the same race, and that is the human race. So you need to get in your head principle number one from Scripture, and that is that God created one race, the human race. Let me give you principle number two. All humanity has value because all humanity is uniquely created in God's image. Genesis 1, 26-27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Now, by using those terms, image and likeness, God emphasizes that humanity is the corporal representative of the invisible, bodiless God. The terms image and likeness guarantees that all mankind, all womankind, all humanity is an adequate and faithful representative of God on earth. He created all humanity in his image and likeness. And only humanity reflects God's personality and morality. And therefore, God values human life. And therefore, prejudice and racism are a direct affront and an attack on the image and likeness of God. You better get these principles down, folks. Again... All humanity has value because all humanity is uniquely created in God's image. And now let me give you the third principle. Racism is murder. I'll say that again. Racism, bigotry, prejudice, whatever word you want to put in there, whatever synonym you want to use, is murder. You say, well, how so, Pastor? Well, let me explain to you. Human life, we just said, is distinctly made in God's image and likeness. And you know what God said? He said it is immoral to take a human life. Exodus 20 verse 13. You shall not murder. That's the intentional killing of an innocent person. 
Now you may be thinking, well, I've never murdered anybody. I got news for you. If you've hated someone, if you've been prejudiced towards someone, if you've been a bigot, if you've been a racist, guess what? You're a murderer. You say, well, how can that be, Pastor? Well, hear the words of Matthew 5, 21 to 24. Jesus said, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, now here's Jesus, and he's going to explain exactly what his father meant when he said, thou shalt not murder. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whosoever shall say to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering on the altar, and there remember your brother is something against you, leave your offering before the altar go, be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Did you catch what Jesus said? You're angry with your brother? You're unjustly angry. Well, what would just anger be? Well, if somebody commits sin, you should be angry at that. Okay? When somebody is immoral, we should be angry with that. But if you're angry with someone because of the shape of their body or the color of their skin, you got problems. That's right, I said it. You have a problem. You are a murderer in the sight of God. If you're angry with your brother, you're guilty. If you say you're good for nothing, you look down on somebody and say, Psh, you're not as good as me, you got a problem. You're a murderer, God says. You call them a fool, you call them simple-minded, you call them dumb, guess what? You're a murderer. See, the implication of the sixth commandment goes deeper than just physical murder. The command not to murder includes prohibitions against racism. You say, well, I'm not convinced. Okay, listen to the words of 1 John 3.15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, what is prejudice? What is bigotry? What is racism? It is hating your brother. Well, that's not my brother. Really? Are you all descended from the same human race? Yes. Then guess what? There's a universal brotherhood. And if you hate another person, you hate a human being, I got news for you, you have committed murderer, and the Bible says that there's no murderers in heaven. They're on their way to hell. Now, I got good news. There is forgiveness where there is repentance of sin. Paul was a murderer. Chief of sinners. And when he came to the place of repenting of his sin and receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ, his past sin was forgiven. And you know what? He left his old lifestyle behind. So friend, if you're listening, listen very carefully. If you've got hatred in your heart, towards another person. You better check yourself. You better check your salvation. You may need to do some repentance. You say, well, bah, Christians, Christians can't be bigots. <laughs> Wait do you see the text we're going to look at here in a moment. Christians can't be prejudiced. <laughs> Come on now. Christians can't be racist, really? 
I'm going to introduce you to a man who was right here in Acts chapter 10. But I'll state the principle again. Racism is murder. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you've got, if you right now take an examination of yourself, I want you to look at yourself. Don't look at this, that, and the other thing. You know, it's so easy for us to say, well, look at what this one does, and look at what they're doing here, and look at what this. Stop looking at everybody else and take a look at, hard look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word and ask yourself, do I have hatred towards another person or group of people? Do I, oh, you say, well, I don't hate them. Do you have, detest them? Do you not like them as much as you like this group of people? Because I'm telling you, if that exists in your heart, you've got some serious soul searching to do, and you need to get on your knees and beg God for forgiveness, repent of that sin, turn from it, lest you cast yourself into hell and the lake of fire. No murderer has eternal life. Pastor, that's strong stuff. That's God's Word. That's God's Word. That's not my opinion. That's God's Word. Now let's take our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And we're going to examine this text of Acts chapter 10. And we're going to see here how God breaks down the walls of prejudice. Breaking down the walls of prejudice. And you know, it takes God to do that work. It takes God to do that work. Now, as we come to Acts chapter 10, first of all, we need to understand that Christians have walls of prejudice. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from sin. We're sinners saved by grace. And praise God for that. But if you think that the day you became a Christian... You're, you're, you stop sinning, you're deceiving yourself, John says in 1 John. Someone comes along and says, I don't sin. You're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Come on, Christian, you need to be honest. Christians have walls of prejudice. Let's look at verses 10 to 16 of Acts chapter 10. But Peter became hungry and was desiring to eat. And while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky opened up. And an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground, and there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures of the earth, and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now before I get any further into this text, if you think Acts 10 is all about God telling you that you can eat anything you want, I got news for you, you miss the point of the text. Okay? That is not what this has to do with. Listen, Christ dealt with that issue back in the book of Mark. He made it clear, listen, God has created all food for human consumption and he's blessed it and so on and so forth, okay? He's not dealing with Peter here on the issue of what's clean and unclean food. And if you would take the time to actually read the whole text rather than just hunting and picking verses you want to support your particular idea, you would find out that he was dealing with Peter's prejudices. Now let's get a little background here on Peter before we exegete this text. 
And we can go to John chapter 4. We won't turn over there. I'll summarize it. But in John chapter 4, Jesus is returning from Judea north to Galilee. And he goes through Samaria. You say, so what? (laughs) So what? Listen, the Jews of Christ's day hated the Samaritans. Hated the Samaritans. Despised the Samaritans. There was bigotry, prejudice, racism between the Jews and the Samaritans. And you know what the sin of it was? They were, they were related. But yet they hated them. Well, they don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't dress like us. They don't talk like us. And so there was this built-in animosity... And so Jews typically did not go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. They would literally go out of their way. Folks, they didn't just cross to the other side of the street. They walked out of Judea, crossed the Jordan, through the country of Perea, back over the Jordan, and then into Galilee. Man, you've got to really hate a group of people to be that deliberate, to go that far out of your way to avoid someone. But Jesus went through Samaria because spiritual needs override cultural differences. Now immediately that woman knew he was a Jew. Why? He looked like a Jew, dressed like a Jew, talked like a Jew. Okay? And he asked the woman for a drink. Now right there, just stop the presses. He asks her for a drink. Do you realize he, by doing that, he is going to put his lips on the very vessel that this unclean, non-Jew was carrying. See, Jesus broke with culture. Jesus was not going to be bound by the bigotry and the prejudices of the Jews. Now, as he's talking to this woman, here come the disciples. They walk up and they are amazed, the Bible says. You know what that word amazed means? They were in shock. You know why they were in shock? Because Jesus did something they've never seen done before. Now, they didn't say anything out loud. They kept their mouth shut. But the text tells us that in their heart, they couldn't believe Jesus was speaking to her. Why? Because they had prejudices. Now, here are disciples. Here are men who have been traveling with Jesus. These are men who have repented of their sins and confessed their faith in Jesus. And you know what? Though they're being transformed, though they're becoming new creatures, they still have sin issues, and they still had to deal with the sin of their prejudice and their racism and their bigotry. A little later on, we can go to Matthew 15. We have a Canaanite woman from from the land of Tyre. Approaches Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. And this woman wouldn't keep her mouth shut. She is screaming. She's yelling. She's crying. Jesus, 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 heal my daughter. And that offended the disciples and all the other Jews that were there. Because they looked at the Canaanites like dogs. That's what they called them. That's what they called them. You're a dog. You're a dirty dog. Now, this time, a Peter and the disciples react, Jesus, you've got to shut her up and send her away. 
She's running her mouth too much. It wasn't that she was running her mouth too much. You know, they didn't have any other problem when their people were screaming and yelling and crying for Jesus to heal them. But because it was a Canaanite, because it was somebody different from them, all of a sudden now, they got a problem. Jesus shut her mouth. She's a big mouth woman. We can't hear you. The reality was their hearts were wicked and filled with hate. And you know what Jesus did? Your faith has made your daughter whole. Go in peace. Now those two illustrations display the bigotry and prejudice of Peter and the disciples. Just because you're a Christian does not mean you don't have prejudice or that you are immune to racism. One needs only to look at the ethnic disparity in the churches today. Look at churches across this country. And listen, if right away your defense is to blame somebody else, you've got a problem. Okay? Anytime we deflect from examining ourselves, we are admitting to ourselves we have a problem. See, believers today are still allowing their thinking to be guided by social norms, cultural relativism, and familial prejudice. And Christian, child of God, you who have been regenerated, you need to stop letting your thinking be informed by social norm. You need to stop letting your thinking be informed by cultural relativism. And you need to stop letting your thinking be directed by familial prejudice. You need to start thinking biblically. You need to start thinking like Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. See, just like Peter and the disciples, you may be blind to your own prejudice and you need the Lord to shock you into seeing them. Now here in Acts 10, Peter is staying at Joppa. We didn't read that part of the text, but if you go back, you'll see that he's in Joppa on the Mediterranean coast. Now I'm a person, I've told you before, there's nothing in Scripture that's a mistake. There's no, no filler in the Scripture. So when he says that Peter's in Joppa, there's got to be a reason. Now you've got to watch this, folks. This is good. Look up Joppa. And you know where else you'll find Joppa? In the book of Jonah. That's right. Joppa was the city where Jonah fled to get a ship to take him to Tarshish. Now, 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 now wait a minute. Let's think about this. God told Jonah... Go to Nineveh. So if you're looking at a map and you're standing in Israel, Nineveh would be headed towards Iraq and Iran. Okay? That direction. Go to Iraq. That's where Nineveh was at the time. He goes the other direction towards the Mediterranean Sea and heads to the city of Joppa, and he's in Joppa waiting to get a boat. Now, why wouldn't he go to Nineveh? Because he had prejudice. He was a bigot. He, had, he did not like the Ninevites. 
Oh, well, pastor, you can understand why he didn't like the Ninevites. They were some horrible people. I'm not debating they weren't horrible people. I'm not debating the fact that they didn't do some heinous things. But you know what? When God says, go to those people and take the gospel, guess what you do? You get up and go, regardless of whether you like people, dislike people, agree with people, don't agree with people. You get up and go where God sends you. You deal with the hate in your heart. Pray, pray to God he forgives you. Pray to God he takes it from you, and you go where God sends you. And listen, here we are now in the New Testament, and now we've got another person with prejudice in his heart in Joppa who God is going to send to people that he doesn't like. Now, 30 miles north of Joppa was the Roman provincial capital, Caesarea. That's where the Roman governor lived. Under the Roman governor's authority were 3,000 troops, including the Italian cohort. And serving with this unit was Cornelius, a centurion who commanded 100 soldiers. And so now the stage is set. We have a Gentile Roman soldier who represents the occupation, the despised occupation of Israel, residing in the main city of Roman occupation. You might think this stuff was written today. 30 miles south, you have a Jewish apostle who has a history of prejudice, temporarily residing at the spot where Jonah had taken off in disobedience to his commission to preach to people he didn't like. And behind the scenes, God is orchestrating the events to bring Peter and Cornelius together in a way that shocked both of them by breaking down the wall of prejudice between them. And that's, my friends, is what God is in the business of doing. He's breaking down the wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles. He's breaking down walls of partition even today. Now here's Peter, he's hungry, he's waiting for lunch when he receives a vision of a sheet being lowered from heaven and on this sheet are all kinds of animals, insects and birds that they had been forbidden from eating. And a voice says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter is shocked. No, by no means, lords, I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Now, we need to be clear here that, yes, God had given the people a special dietary law. But the purpose of that dietary law was to separate them from pagan practices of the day. Okay? It wasn't to separate them from pagan people. It was to separate them from pagan practices. But over time, the Jews took the law to the wrong conclusion. And they viewed the Gentiles as unclean. So much so that they would not enter... Listen to this. They would not enter the home of a Gentile. They would not eat with a Gentile or drink with a Gentile. They went so far, they wouldn't even buy their meat from a Gentile butcher. And in turn, the Gentiles developed a deep-seated distrust and hatred for the Jews. Now, folks, this is just nonsense. This is ridiculous. Okay? Listen. I don't want you to take part in pagan rituals. Okay, so don't touch these foods. Okay. Where in that statement do you jump to the conclusion that you can't go down to the local butcher shop just because it's not owned by 
a Jew, and so I can't, I can't buy anything in there because it's been touched by a Gentile. And you might be sitting here listening and you're chuckling to yourself, but you know what? We do the same thing today. Well, I'm not going to go to that store because, man, that's owned by a Jew. That's owned by a black person. That's owned by that Indian. That's owned by that Spanish person, that Hispanic. I'm not going to eat there. Really? See, when you say those things, when you think those things, it's revealing the sin that's in your heart. Christian, you have walls of prejudice. Okay? We've got to be honest. We've got to examine ourselves. But secondly, we're going to see that God uses extreme measures to break down the walls of our prejudices. God uses extreme measures to break down the walls of our prejudice. Let's go back to chapter 10. We'll begin with verse 1, read down to verse 6, and then we'll uh, later we'll jump over to 17. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now, right there, notice something. This guy's a Gentile. He, he, he's a Roman soldier, okay? He, he's in the position of power. He's in the position of, of, of oppressing, Okay, but God has worked in this man's heart and he has feared God. He's even given alms to the Jewish people and he prays to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he sees a vision of an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, fixing his gaze on him, being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa. Send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter, for he is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Now, you know what? God could have explained the message of salvation to Cornelius and left Peter out of the loop. But instead, he gives instruction to Cornelius on how to contact Peter so that Peter could go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. God chose a Gentile who represented something that every loyal Jew hated, a military commander from the occupying Roman forces, and sends him to Peter. And Peter had to break out of his comfort zone in order to obey God. Cornelius had to overcome his prejudice, any prejudice he may have had against contacting an uneducated Jew to explain spiritual truth to him. Lord, don't you want me to talk to this Sadducee or the Pharisee, some religious leader? Oh no, I want you to go talk to this uneducated fisherman. Now I want you to also know here how the Lord worked with Peter. Notice where Peter's staying. He's staying at the home of a man named Simon who was a tanner. Now, you probably read that before and didn't pick anything up off of that. But the Jews viewed tanners as unclean because they had contact with dead animal skins. Now, Peter seemingly don't have any problem staying in the house of this tanner, even though culturally the Jews would have said, that's unclean, he touches dead things. He's unclean. You can't have anything to do with him. But Peter doesn't have any problem. And yet, okay, he does have a problem with unclean Gentiles. See the, see the hypocrisy? Boy, I'll tell you, that's something about prejudice. It produces hypocrisy. But I believe this is God working in Peter. He's working in Peter. Now, the Lord repeats the vision three times for Peter. And Peter, like many, is stubborn. 
He needed to be told repeatedly to deal with his prejudice. Now look at verse 17. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be. Stop right there. If this was just about clean and unclean food, why would Peter be so perplexed? Because Peter knew it wasn't just about the food. Let's continue. So while he's perplexed in his mind, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate, called out. They were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them. Now, don't miss the next two words. Without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So here's Peter, perplexed by this vision. Again, not because he didn't understand, but because it went against his preconceived notions, it went against his upbringing, it went against his culture. And Christian, you need to stop excusing your prejudice. Stop blaming your parents for why you've got prejudice opinions. Stop blaming your upbringing. Stop blaming the age in which you lived. They're excuses. Throw off the excuses. Stop blaming those things and start repenting. Now next God tells Peter, there are some Gentiles waiting for you downstairs. Accompany them without misgivings. Now let's be clear. Just because God starts dealing with someone's prejudices doesn't mean they automatically lose their prejudice ideas. Some people are going to fight with that. Some people are going to battle that. And you best be battling it. Okay? I'm sure that prejudice ideas run deep. And you've got to be willing to let God change your heart. And Peter's still struggling. God's breaking down the walls of his prejudice, but Peter's still struggling. I'm sure Peter wanted to tell them, Hey, listen, the Gentile motels down the street. But he, instead he submitted to God and invited them in and gave them lodging. Acts 10, 23, he invited the men and gave them lodging. You know, God teaches us by putting us in uncomfortable and extreme situations. And I believe that's exactly what he's doing in this country right now. He is putting this country and he's putting some people in some uncomfortable and extreme situations that are going to challenge their blind assumptions and pray to God that people might grow to be more like Jesus, who was the friend of sinners that others were prejudiced against. Listen, folks. You might not be able to break down that wall, but God will use extreme measures to break down those walls of prejudice in your life. Now let's go to number three. When the walls of prejudice are broken down, believers will consider others more important than themselves. So you'll know when that wall of prejudice is broken down, when you can look at somebody else that previously you didn't think too much of, you didn't really like, you had some issues with, or whatever word you want to put in there, and you're going to look at them as, and consider them more important than yourself. Verse 25 of Acts 10, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. And as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I shall not call any man unholy or unclean. 
Oh, you know, it's amazing when you read the whole text of Scripture, you find out the sheet from heaven had nothing to do with the food. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked for what reason you have sent for me. The first thing he encountered in Caesarea was this Gentile centurion falling at his feet in worship. And you know, Peter, he, 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 he should have been gluten. <laughs> That's right. That's right, you dog. Get down and grovel at my feet. But instead, he pulls Cornelius up and says, Stand up! I too am just a man. One way, my friends, to overcome your prejudice is to treat other people, regardless of their ethnicity or background, with equality and equity. If you don't know what equality and equity is, get a dictionary and find out. And then, okay, Cornelius takes him back to the house. Now he's not just dealing with one Gentile. He's dealing with a whole house of Gentiles. And his opening comment in verse 28 about it being lawful or unlawful for a Jew to associate with a foreigner was not a racist comment. He's simply acknowledging the obvious. And he says, listen, I'm going to explain to you why I am violating the social norms of my people. I'm, I'm here to explain to you why there's been a change in me. And my friends, if the cultural or social norm is sinful, if your upbringing was sinful, if the age in which you lived in was sinful, it's sin and that sin needs to be violated. And it needs to be violated because God has made it clear that we are not to view any person as better than an, another person or less than another person. Now listen to the words of Peter in verse 34 and 35. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. God's not a bigot. God's not prejudiced. God's not a racist. In every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That's right. God's got the doors wide open, ready to welcome any and all who repent and come by faith. Now, I know, Christian, you're quick to agree. Oh, Pastor, yes, I believe that people different from me can receive salvation, and that's wonderful. Then how come you're reluctant to treat them equally as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Stop coming up with all your excuses. Stop trying to beat around the bush. Get to the heart of the matter. If you really believe that God treats all people the same, then why don't you? You know, despite differences in ethnicity, culture, or language, we are all one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're all one in Christ, Galatians 3.28. Colossians 3.11, there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. And if we're showing partiality or we're discriminating against someone because of their, their, their body shape or the color of their skin or the way they talk or the way they look or the way they act, I got news for you. You are directly affronting God. Colossians 3.25 says, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. God judges without partiality. God looks at the heart. You ought to start looking at hearts too. Get past the outside and look at what's on the inside of a man or woman's heart. Are they regenerate with God? And if they are, then open your arms and receive them. 
God doesn't look at appearance, height, or stature. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord looks at the heart. Folks, the church of Philippi had the same problem. Yes, the church of Philippi suffered from individuals displaying prejudicial, racist attitudes against others in the church. Not in the church. Oh yeah, in the church. So much so that Paul had to tell them in Philippians 2, don't do anything out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, took on the form of a bondservant, be made in the likeness of men. That word selfishness indicates people weren't operating it with pure motives. An empty conceit meant that they thought more highly of themselves than others. They were looking down their nose at other people. Now you have to understand, the church of Philippi was a unique situation because you had people that were Roman citizens and you had people that weren't. You had free men and you had slaves. Remember Read the book of Philemon sometime. Meet a man named Onesimus, okay? Onesimus was being mistreated by his Philippian master who claimed to be a Christian. He thought more highly of himself. So here's Onesimus who's a believer and here's um, his uh, master who claims to be a Christian and he runs and flees to Paul. And Paul takes to task that master and tells him, you need to receive him as a brother. Now, do you realize what Paul was saying there? Don't treat him like a slave, but treat him as your family. That meant that 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 brother in Philippi was going to have to release Onesimus from being a slave and make him a free man and treat him equally. But they weren't doing that in Philippi. Oh, no. Typical supremacism. One person or one group of people looking down on another group of people, causing division. You want to know what the prescription for prejudice or racism among believers is? It's to set aside your selfishness. It's to humble yourself. It's to repent and treat others with respect. And when one would humble himself or herself, if you would humble yourself, you're going to gain a correct perspective on yourself and on others. And start placing other people's interests above your own. Mm. We don't want to do that, do we? Well, I'm busy. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. Me, me, me. Listen, start listening to yourself. If you keep hearing you're talking about yourself all the time, you are selfish. And you need to repent of that too. Look at Jesus. He left heaven, took on human flesh in order to redeem humanity. And instead of discriminating against sinners or considering them less than redeemable, he humbled himself and became their servant and laid down his life for them. Man, could you imagine what the church of God in America would look like if we would start acting like one another's servants? Christian, examine yourself. If God has revealed to you walls of prejudice in your life, you need to repent and cry out to God to tear down those walls. We're supposed to be a visible display to the world of the spiritual unity that exists in the body of Christ. And is that what you look like today? What are we looking like to the world? What are we looking like to other people today? 
You know, you take a brief synopsis of the New Testament, and the New Testament church bears witness to a multi-ethnic makeup of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, 16 different ethnicities were represented in the Jerusalem church. There were Parthians, there were Medes, there were Lamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, Pontocetes, Asians, Phrygians, Pamphylians, Egyptians, Libyans, Cyrenes, Romans, Cretans, and Arabs. Oh man, that is Babel reversed. God confused the languages of Babel, but the message of the gospel was so great that God countermanded his judgment to spread the gospel message. Very first church was multi-ethnic. The church of Antioch was multi-ethnic. Five different people groups represented the leadership. Okay? The, the, the pastor and deacons, the elders of the church of Antioch, were Jewish, some were from Cyprus, some were from Cyrene, some were from Tarsus, and some were from Rome. And that these five people, or five different groups, could come together, regardless of their ethnic backgrounds and cultures, come together and do the work of the Lord, shouldn't be amazing. That's what the church should look like. Okay? That's what the church should look like. These men all possess different personalities and skill set. But you know what? Their ability to be a spiritual leader wasn't based on their ethnicity. It wasn't based on their culture. It wasn't based on their personality or their skill set. What drew them together and qualified them was their faith in Christ. And then the church in heaven, thank God, is going to be multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multilinguistic. Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. They sang a new song. People from every tribe... Tongue, people, and nation. That's ethnicity, by the way. Ethnos. You see it in both 5.9 and 7.9. The heavenly church will not discriminate over culture, social class, society, or language. And you know what? God is glorified when people of various ethnicities and cultures can gather together and glorify and worship His Son. So I ask the question, can prejudice and racism be overcome? You know, 50 years on since the civil rights movement, and we're still embroiled in racism. And the fact is, racism is a sin issue. And so, unfortunately, as long as there is sin, racism will rear its ugly head. And no matter how many laws we can make, laws don't change hearts. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be changing hearts. Now, on the positive side, because it is a sin issue, because bigotry, prejudice, racism is a sin issue, there's good news. People can be freed from sin. No one's beyond saving grace. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit regenerates the individual, makes them a new creature. Old things begin passing away. That means even the most wicked racist can become the most loving Christian. But my friends, I got news for you. There is no room for prejudice, racism, or bigotry in the propagation of the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. And then Acts 1.8. You'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It is high time, Christian, to let your thinking be shaped by biblical principles first and foremost. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what the will of God is. We need to stop 
thinking more highly. Let me continue to read Romans 12 for a moment here. He goes on after that great verse about don't be conformed to the world. He then goes on to say, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Okay? Bring yourself down off your high, mighty horse. Stop thinking you're better than somebody else. And to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For we are many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function. We who are many are one in body in Christ, and individually members one of another. I'm a white Christian. I'm a black Christian. I'm an Asian Christian. I'm a Jewish Christian. Stop it! You're a Christian. End of story. And we need to start seeing each other as Christians and start loving one another as Christians and start minding to one another as Christians. We need to forsake those attitudes and actions of the former life. We need to repent of the sin of prejudice, of bigotry, and of racism. And again, I say, racism, bigotry, prejudice, it is murder. No murder is going to be in heaven. My friends, we as believers, we as a church cannot be passive. We must take action. James 1.22 says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It is time to start treating people the way the Lord treats people. Time and again, Jesus reached across those ethnic barriers to love on people and to speak the gospel to them. And he grew his church from a band of ethnically different people. And the church has got to continue to do the same. We must not continue to reinforce racial divisions. We need to be as diverse as the community in which we minister. This church needs to be a place where all people, regardless of ethnicity or culture, can come together to worship and glorify God. God, break down those walls. My friends, examine yourself. Even Christians have walls of prejudice. And God will use some extreme measures to break down the walls of your prejudice. And when the walls of your prejudice come down, start considering others more important than yourself. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the word that you put before us. And Father, again, we cry out that you might forgive us Lord, collectively as a church and also, Lord, as individuals that you might move us to examine ourselves. Father, if there's a wall of prejudice, of bigotry, of racism, if, Father, you would expose it in us, you would show it to us, Father, you would take the blinders off our eyes and then humble us and that we might cry out, forgive us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd make this church, I'd pray that you would make this church what you'd have it to be, that it would look like the church of Jerusalem, that it would look like the church of Antioch, that it would look like the church in heaven. And not just this church, but churches all across this country. Father, I know it is easy for us because it's our sin nature that when we hear uncomfortable things, when we hear things that challenge us, we're quick to want to point fingers. Well, what about what this one? So what about what this people are doing and that group of people are doing? Lord, bite our tongues so we'll stop 
worrying about what everybody else is doing. And we'll simply worry about what we're doing before you. Father, whether we do right or wrong has nothing to do with what the rest of the world is doing. We need to do what's right because you've commanded us to do what is right. So, Father, help us to that end. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.